us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Pastor James has uh, launched Unite Nashville, which is, uh, has an expression of prayer every Sunday night. Uh, for a while, there was, there was daily prayer walks, uh, starting at the Davidson County Courthouse and going to the Capitol and back. A beautiful time of prayer for people from all churches were coming together, especially people here at Bethel were participating. But now that's grown, and it's, it's changed a little bit to every Sunday night. So it's 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, there'll be a prayer walk from the Davidson County Courthouse to the Capitol and back. Please join us. Uh, I so appreciate, again, Pastor James' leadership, leading in the area of reconciliation and unity. And that's our message today. The message is on the ministry of reconciliation. If you don't know this passage, you need to know this. This is a classic passage. Whenever you hear the term reconciliation, it's going to be referred to out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And when I begin to read, I look at, I normally start at verse 17, but, but verse 16 is important, and i got to be careful because I'll end up back in Genesis if I keep going one verse above that. But anyway, uh, the Apostle Paul, this is a man that God had transformed. We'll talk about this. This man named Saul He's transformed. He becomes, he goes from a persecutor of the church to the great advocate for the faith. And he says to the Corinthian believers there, he says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. In other words, it's not just looking at his humanity. Well, he was a carpenter's son and he lived here in this city, uh, we can many times, and people would look at Christ and say, well, that's who you are. And, many, and they missed who he was because they just saw him in terms of the human perspective. But Paul's saying there's something greater, a greater perspective, and not just toward Christ, but toward one another. Verse 17, this is one of the, this is one of the first verses I learned as a new believer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Watch this. He reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you or literally beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So he reconciled us in Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation and then it says it a second time, but in a little deeper way, he's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Now, the Apostle Paul, if you want to go back 2,000 years ago and, and imagine the discrimination, the separation, the ethnic tension, the racism, if you will. I'll explain in just a moment why I don't like that term. But yet what we would consider is that this was prevalent uh, especially among Jews, Jewish people, and non-Jewish people. So here was the Apostle Paul before he met Christ and was reconciled. He was somebody who was, uh, he was a very religious person, and that meant separation. It meant uh, you, did not, uh, you did not come near someone of another ethnicity for the most part. 
much less have any kind of fellowship. And many times you, f- you found uh, people speaking down to one another, like uh, you know, to, to, the, to, to someone who was a non-Jewish person. Many people in the strict religious sense would look down as if you were somehow less than human. And so Christ appears to Paul. You know this, this, uh, this famous road, the road to Damascus, where Christ appears and transforms uh, Saul of Tarsus into now a great follower of Christ, his great ambassador for the Christian faith. And Paul would go from somebody that was separated to now he becomes a reconciler. You see, that's what the principle says. Christ reconciled us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he entrusted it to us, an even deeper uh, stewardship. So without that reconciliation, the apostle Paul, you'd find him in the book of Acts going into Athens, going into the great bastion of Stoicism and, and philosophic, philosophical you know, understanding and the seat of intellectual power, but yet a non-Jewish world. And Paul would stand up in the book of Acts chapter 17, verse 26, and he would say to these Greeks, he would preach Jesus and he would say that uh, God made from one man all nations of the earth to live. In other words, Paul brought humanity back to its beginning from the very beginning. You know, for many people that don't understand that, that race is actually a term that really became more codified in our cultural language with Darwin. Uh, Charles Darwin's book on the origin of species uh, by means of natural selection, the, the subtitle of Darwin's book, which kind of gets, you know, kind of airbrushed out or eliminated is the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. So, Race is, actually, race is actually a term that's not a biblical term. The biblical term is ethnicities. But somehow this notion was codified by Darwin that somehow different, different ethnicities were like, you know, a dog and a cat, like somehow we were just that distinctly different. But Paul went into this group in Athens and said, no, he made from one man every nation. You know, geneticists can basically trace back human genetics back to where it bottlenecks. You know, they say that, the, that, that animal and plant life goes back 500 million years ago to what's called the Cambrian Explosion. You can Google Time Magazine Big Bang or Time Magazine Evolution's Big Bang and a cover will come up from the 90s where it talks about this Cambrian Explosion where all this diversity of life literally just appears. But human origins, we bottleneck, which means is that there is a connection to us. We're not different. We're just different ethnicities, different tribes. And that's why... You know, when you realize that uh, when Jesus, when the scripture says that uh, that famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, John 3, 16, um, what does that mean? What world did he give himself to? It wasn't just, you know, for one ethnicity or the other. In fact, if you take a, a world of 7 billion people and you reduce us down to seven, there would be one black, one white, uh, different brown shades, and then a lot of Asians those from India, in other words, the world that Christ died for was a world that's multicolored. And that's what Paul was sent to. That's why he had to be transformed because he was just thinking about his own ethnicity. Uh, it would have been a very small mission field for him. Uh, the book of Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, uh, Paul would go on to say that this is this man that's been transformed. He would say there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ. 
And many times people, they see the word slavery or servanthood in the Bible and they don't realize that that's not the same as the transatlantic slave trade. It was different. It was, it was based on mostly economics and maybe if you were captured in war. But slavery, the biblical slavery, the distinction from what happened you know, in the last few hundred years that we're still facing with and dealing with in many ways is that it's a completely different thing. There, it was, a, again, economics, it was limited. Uh, you were, there was a certain time limit that once somebody sold themselves to pay off a debt as an indentured servant, then they had to be uh, set free after seven years. But then there was this thing called the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, everyone was set free from every debt. And that's why when Jesus came in to start his ministry, he basically quoted this. He said, I've come to set the captives free. In the book of Luke chapter 4, Jesus came to announce that the year of Jubilee wasn't just every 50 years like it was in the, in the sense of the Old Testament, but Christ himself had become the Jubilee. Christ, in Ephesians 2, Paul said this same Paul that was transformed, that Christ tore down the wall between Jew and Gentile. You know, in the 1980s, the Berlin Wall came down. And even though the wall came down between East and West Berlin, and I've been at that wall many times, uh, there's an expression in German, uh, it goes like this, it's, it's Maurimkopf, which means the wall in the head. In other words, even though there was a physical wall that had separated that was now removed, there was still this wall, something in, our, in their minds that kept them living separate lives. And Paul talked about Christ in Ephesians 2, verse 14 through 16, how he tore down this wall. It isn't just the physical things. It's not just the physical laws, but there's something inside of us that has to be torn down or else we won't be able to fulfill Christ's command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. See, those are the last words basically of Jesus in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He didn't just send us to go out and just to kind of tolerate one another. You know, we think toleration is, or tolerance is such a high value. That's not, he's called us to something greater than tolerance. You know, if I have some friends and I'm at their home and I'm kind of leaving and I overhear them saying, well, what do you think about rice? And they said, well, he's tolerable. No, he's called us to more than tolerance, to love and respect. We're to love our neighbor. We're not only to love our neighbor as believers, Christ even calls us to love our enemies. See, there's a much higher bar than we've realized if we're going to be a follower of Christ. So, you know, when I came to Christ uh, back in college, this ministry of reconciliation was, was, was big. Now, I had been raised, my dad was in the oil business, and so in the 1960s, we, he got moved to southern Mississippi. There was an oil strike there in southern Mississippi. So I remember as a, as a young boy seeing uh, colored and white restrooms. I remember the images of the 60s of discrimination and segregation, it, it made such an impact in me, uh, not knowing the term injustice, but just something was wrong. And then my dad moved on in the 1970s and, and got moved to Africa. And so I lived, uh, when he, was, he moved to Algeria, Northern Africa. And so I began, remember sitting there in, in South Africa, not South Africa, that's coming in a moment, I'll talk about South Africa, but sitting there in Northern Africa and realizing just how big the world was. How, how diverse the world was rather than this little small bubble I'd been raised. But even though I'd had these kind of things like living in Mississippi and then, then in Africa, it still, and it opened me up, nothing took the place of this inner transformation that Paul talked about, where he said, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. 
And that transformation that happened to me when I was a third-year student uh, at Mississippi State University so changed me was such a radical transformation that my older brother, we'd been raised you know, religiously but didn't take it seriously. And my older brother, uh, Ben, went on to get a master's degree in psychology. Then he went to law school at SMU, was in the top of his class, and uh, his hobby was harassing Christians. If my brother found out you said you believed in God, he would try to get you unbaptized, if you will. So my brother found out that I'd become a Christian, and he came home to talk me out of my faith. But this transformation had happened to me. And this ministry of reconciliation was, was at work in me. And though my brother was much smarter than me, still is, something was at work in me that God had put inside of me because he'd reconcile me that would help him. And uh, on the weekend that my brother came home to talk me out of my faith there in Dallas, where my parents lived, we baptized him. And he came up out of the water, we baptized him in a swimming pool. He said, you haven't really answered all my questions, but he says, I think I've been asking the wrong questions. And so that's really what launched me into a ministry to skeptics. And so, you know, it's been mentioned that I wrote the book, God's Not Dead, and I spend a lot of time on secular campuses. Last year, I was on 36 different secular campuses like Arizona State or Michigan State doing a presentation on the existence of God and what is the evidence for that. But right after I had that with my brother, I had something equally significant, if not maybe more. Even though my family transformation, my father ended up becoming a Christian who was in the oil business. I mean, that was a miracle in itself to see my family transformed. But it wasn't long after that that I was back in Mississippi State, and I was out on the basketball court, and I saw this African-American young man running up and down the court playing, uh, playing a game, and I was going to, it was like an intramural game, and I was waiting to get in. And I, not to scare you, but I had this impression. It was as if the Lord was saying to me uh, that he's been praying for somebody to talk to him about, about God. Go tell him you're the answer to his prayer. And so I looked at him after the game was over, and I said, look, I hope you don't think I'm crazy. I said, but um, uh, I believe the Lord wanted me to tell you that you've been praying for somebody to help you, and I'm the answer to your prayer. And he looked at me and he said, well, you look like the kind of angel I'd get. Now, that, now that's a wonderful life. No, he, he literally looked at me like this puzzle looked like, are you kidding? I just prayed that prayer. His name was Curtis. And basically because of what happened to him in that moment, uh, not only did he become a Christian, but uh, six other teammates. I actually baptized seven of these young African-American athletes there on the Mississippi State team in the late 70s. Uh, it, was a, it was a dramatic moment. And that, that, that moment of reaching out first to my brother and then to this young man who, for every reason back in the 70s, there would have been a wall. There would have been a gap between us. Uh, Christ had covered that gap. He broke down that wall. In fact, I just got a text from him. Uh, that's well over 40 years ago. I just got a text from him this week, still serving the Lord uh, that my original disciple, if you will, besides my brother and, and, and Curtis, that has now grown. That moment has now grown to where our ministry that Bethel's connected with is called Every Nation. We're now in 80 countries of the world. And I go back to that, that seminal moment of reaching out to someone that did not look like me, realizing that Christ had broken down that wall and how that because of that reconciliation work, now we're on hundreds of college campuses as a ministry. And I've had the privilege of working around the world, going into places 
where just by the outward appearance, like Paul said, we don't recognize somebody by the outward appearance. That's the first verse we read. As I go into these places, it's not about my ethnicity. It's about the fact that I've been reconciled and given this ministry of reconciliation. It says, God was in Christ, not counting their sins against them. This is critical in reconciliation. I think about uh, Nelson Mandela, who was in prison in South Africa for 27 years. And during that time of 27 years, as he read the Bible, as he began to seek God, when he came out of prison, because his heart was reconciled and he wasn't bitter, he was able to lead their nation into peace. It could have been, a, it, was, it was just about ready to explode and, and be a, it was a literal powder keg. But because of the reconciliation in his heart, he came out and was a bridge builder to all ethnicities. Uh, I had the privilege of being an, an interim pastor in Cape Town and, uh, for almost a year. And uh, before I got there, there's, a, there's the legend of the time we had one of our services there at University of Cape Town, the Baxter Theater, the legendary Baxter Theater. And, and our congregation is very diverse. Uh, and as pastor, as uh, the president, rather, um, Nelson Mandela's walking by the university, looks in and sees the congregation and passes a note to the front, says, may I speak? And the president comes down and addresses one of our congregations there and says, this is the hope of our nation. And so there was a, a picture that that church had of a black hand and a white hand in prayer. And so when I became pastor here in the year 2000 at Bethel, I I took those hands from Africa, from that church that, was, uh, that was, a, was a reconciled church and a leader in that area, and brought that here and put, put that image on seven billboards. Uh, it's been many, many years since we had the billboards, but they were up for several years. People to this day somehow think we still have them up. But it gave a message of what Bethel was going to be. And one of the first messages I gave when I stood up in front of a, our congregation is I said, basically this is in the year 2000, is that we have over 100 nations in this city. We need to reach out. We can't just think that we're going to get on a plane and go into, the, into mission work and become loving and love people that don't look like us because we go 3,000 miles away. We need to begin that right now. And so today, under Pastor James's leadership, there's over 60 nations represented in congregations, not only here, but in Clarksville and Murfreesboro, in many different cities. It's Bethel is stretched out, many different cities in this, in this southeast area. So I want to just conclude with this. When people ask me about reconciliation, especially in the area of ethnic reconciliation, which is such a, a, an issue that we cannot ignore, and it kind of comes and goes depending on what's happening in the culture, but it never goes away. It just kind of goes under the surface and then resurfaces, and it seems like it's it's, there are issues that we have not dealt with before, it seems like. Even though such progress can be made in a sense, but yet why is it that when something happens, when we see the death of a George Floyd or someone else, then now all of a sudden the wound is freshly opened and now we're still dealing with issues that we've been dealing with for years but not dealing with it thoroughly. And I believe that the church is to lead the way in this. Why? Because we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Let me just give this basic little word here, and it'll just follow the word. It'll follow the spelling of grace. You see, if you're going to be reconciled, it always starts, let's say the G is the gospel. You see, you can't really, 
you, you, can, you can reform laws, you can change laws, you can do all of this structural, which needs to be done so there's nothing systemic going on, but you can get all the right laws, but if the heart's not changed, it's still going to be there. And human nature is flawed. You know, we, we divide over what school you went to, over, what, uh, over whether you like you know, this sports team or that sports team, whether you, know, that you think about our pro- proclivity of division, of finding ways to discriminate against one another, not only ethnically, but class, socioeconomically, no matter what, your accent, whether you're from this part of the country or that part of the country. In fact, when the apostles were first sent into the world. They were from Nat. They were from Galilee, and it's like they were like the, the country boys, or the, you know. Here and so here, Jesus sends them into this intellectual and into this religiously uh, kind of aloof community. But yet they were they had a little bit different accent. But yet it didn't matter. Christ takes the weak things to confound the wise. So it starts with the gospel, a radical transformation, which I'm going to talk as we conclude more about that. So the G is the gospel. All true, any permanent change is going to happen when the heart's changed. Secondly, the R in grace would be remember. Remember the past. You know, it doesn't take much today uh, in the last 15 years with the rise of the Internet. Now the past is closer than it's ever been. It's not like going to the library and looking something up or going into some kind of looking up in the card catalog. Now it's just one click away to see the images of racism, to see the images of of degradation and and all the things that now that uh, we can't hide from. And so that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm telling people, you know, regardless of your ethnicity, don't run from the past. Remember it. Face it. Uh, Listening to, you know, men like W.E.B. Du Bois and, uh, or women like Fannie Lou Hamer or one of my favorites, Henry Louis Gates, who began African-American department at Harvard and brought thinkers together, uh, men like Cornell West and others, but brought African-American thinkers together. And you begin to, to listen to voices. Don't just listen to the voices that you line up with politically. Listen to the voices that listen to the, to, and, and be willing to remember the past. And then the A of grace would be acknowledge the injustice. You know, what happened uh, in Minneapolis uh, was turned into a global outcry. So you have to call something what it is. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that in our minds that we say, well, it all comes down to one thing. And what about this? or What about that? Listen, as you draw the camera lens back over the last several hundred years, Looking at the past, there's no doubt there's been this inequity. We know, there's no doubt there's been racism. There's no doubt when you read the Bible, even in the apostles, the apostle Peter, who uh, even, though he, even though Peter denied Jesus three times, uh, when Jesus sent Peter to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, he, he almost denied that. In fact, it took a vision of three times to appear to Peter for him to be willing to go to somebody of another ethnicity. And then when Peter walked in into the house of this person uh, in Acts chapter 10, he said, well, hey, y'all know I'm not supposed to be here. So even the apostle Peter had hurdles to overcome. But we acknowledge the injustice. Number C is that we have compassion and empathy. We care. There's nothing more moving to people of another ethnicity, especially depending on what they've been through, like the African-American community, when somebody who is white cares and listens, cares enough to listen, cares enough to say, listen, I feel the pain. I'm willing to hear the stories, especially listening to the stories uh, of people that are older, that, that lived through the 60s and 50s and can tell you firsthand the stories of what it was like in this city and many cities in America, if not most, 
when it came to what discrimination and racism looked like. And then the E is engage others with this ministry of reconciliation. Once you've been reconciled, then no, you're not, you're not bound by the past in terms of, well, that means is it because uh, I'm, I'm this ethnicity then I can't reach out? No, there's something about the gospel that makes it even more powerful when people who were of opposite ethnicities reach out to one another. I've been all over the world. Our ministry is in 80 countries, and I show up in places, uh, whether it's Manila, whether it's in China, whether it's in Japan, whether it's in Nigeria, and I show up, and you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, folks, sorry, it's me. Here I am, ready or not, and it's not because of, 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 of what I am in the, in the natural sense. It's because I have been reconciled. I go, to the Afri- I go to historic black campuses, like I've been many times at Fisk University here, and when I show up, it's not about who, what I've earned that gives me the right to do this or, or some, something that I've done. It's what Christ did in me that gives me that place. And so if you're a true believer, then you've been given this ministry of reconciliation. You know, the word grace is important. Uh, the most popular, famous song of Christianity is Amazing Grace. It's something that everyone knows in almost every language. But the story of Amazing Grace is amazing because there was a man that we all know named William Wilberforce. You should know that name. He was uh, from England. He had a radical conversion. In fact, if you want to read a book that will challenge you about the need for real reconciliation, beginning with the gospel, read his book, Real Christianity by William Wilberforce. And when he had this radical conversion, and in Real Christianity, Wilberforce says, that here you are, if you're from England, that you grew up thinking because you're culturally a Christian or you were born in England, therefore you're a Christian. No, you need to be born again. There needs to be a radical transformation. You can't just inherit this faith or you were born into this faith and you kind of inherit it like you inherit a house or a car or something like that. You have to have a personal encounter with Christ. And he had that encounter with Christ and he he said, what can I do with my life? And there was a man named John Newton And John Newton said to William Wilberforce, you need to be in parliament. You can bring about change. You can bring about the end of slavery if you do it from the position of politics. And so William Wilberforce became the driving force that ultimately saw slavery, the slave trade stop and ultimately abolished, I believe, in 1833. But his mentor was John Newton. And John Newton was a former slave trader who had had this radical conversion. And when he wrote the words to the song, Amazing Grace, yes, John Newton wrote these words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I used to read those words and think, wretch, I don't call myself a wretch, but because of putting himself in the light of what he had done as a slave trader, he realized the wretchedness of his own soul. Remember James Baldwin in a speech at Cambridge said that, It's not just what the person who perpetrates racism and and discrimination happens, what they do to someone of another ethnicity, but it's what happens, the twistedness in their own soul that would cause them to do such a thing. Christ has redeemed us. Christ is our salvation. Christ is the one that comes and transforms our hearts. So Father, I pray today for those that have stayed on to watch this, that they would remember this word grace and that that everything in reconciliation begins with the gospel. Not just believing in God, but believing in you Christ as Lord and that as you forgive us, you require us to forgive one another. 
that God, you were in Christ reconciling the world, not counting their sins against them. Thank you that you haven't counted our sins against us, Lord, that we can be accepted, we can be brought near. And Lord, all you ask of us as you've forgiven us for all of our sins is that we turn around and be agents of reconciliation. Lord, I thank you so much that whoever's watching, Lord, that there would just be this moment of maybe now you could just drop down on your knees and say, Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for a true transformation, reconciling me with you. And now, Lord, I receive this ministry of reconciliation. Thank you, Lord, for thousands of people that are watching, no matter where they're watching or when they're watching receiving this ministry of reconciliation and being agents of peace. As you say, blessed are the peacemakers. Thank you for this peace that you've given us that we can give others in Jesus name. It was no accident that you were here with us today. We believe that by letting God speak to you today, it doesn't just make a difference in your life, but it can change the life of your family, of your friends, your coworkers, and even your community throughout the week, my faith is encouraged daily through the social media channels that our church engages with. If you wanna stay encouraged, you can connect with us on Instagram as Bethel World or Facebook as Bethel World Outreach Church. If you need prayer for anything, scan the QR code that's on the screen with your phone and that'll take you to a page where you can receive prayer from a pastor or a ministry team member. You being here made a difference. Thank you for joining us as together we're reaching a city to touch the world.